So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the movie podcast where we put 20 movies up on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. What's going on, Jared? Not much, dude. Not much. Having a good night. But I gotta say, four in a row. Yeah, you a little bitter about that? I'm a little bit bitter, and I'm the one throwing the dart. I got no one to blame. Yeah. But I feel like four... Drew, like there's something in the air. I don't know what's going on with these Drew picks, man. Four in a row, but no complaints. The board has been quite kind to me, I would say. Uh, to this point, we're I don't know. Do we should do we should do a uh, a little little tally here. Where where are we at in terms of movies for each of us? Well, I'm I'm just sad that one of my choices, Sling Blade, just turned into like this weird. Frankenstein bonus episode because nobody could, could watch the damn movie. Like so that's like that's like a half point. Like that's not even a full selection. That is that is actually a really unfortunate fact. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. We've done total of nine, kind of like eight and a half though. Cool. So far we've got for from my list, we've done E.T. Seven Samurai, In a Lonely Place, Burning, Bad Day at Black Rock, Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three. So I've done six. So, so you got six. What do and I got? You've got uh Catch Twenty Two and Sling Blade. <laughs> and all, it, and all the presidents. All the pre- so so you've got, got so three, three, two and a half, kind of. So that leads us to tonight's movie, Bad Day at Black Rock. And the obvious first question. Is how because this is a, obviously a Drew choice. How did you hear about this movie and what got it onto the board? Well, this is an interesting one because this is the only one I think so far. Oh, I, no, I take that back. Sling Blade was a later edition, but um, Sling Blade and Bad Day at Black Rock are the only ones that we've added after the original list that have already been hit. Oh, cool! So this is one of the one of the few newcomers. We definitely talked about this when I put this on the board a little bit, but to go into more depth, I so I, you know, we both are obsessed with Paul Thomas Anderson, our favorite filmmaker, or at least mine. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but I think he's up there for you too. Yeah, probably my favorite. Um, so Which I is was silly to say, but I I love him. I love him for sure. For sure. Well, when Licorice Pizza came out last year, I kind of went on a binge of. Paul Thomas Anderson interviews, lists, you know, all, all that kind of shit that comes out when those movies are getting released. And he made a list. I can't, I'm blanking on which exact list it was. It might have been like IndieWire or something, but it was like, you know, favorite movies or something. But um, he talked about this movie and he just referenced how it was just this like tight thriller, like really well done, great performances. And I was like, cool, that sounds really fun. And when I read the IMDb description, which I will read again uh, now, a one-armed stranger comes to a tiny town possessing a terrible past they want to keep secret by violent means if necessary. That's just like, fuck yeah, I'm in. That sounds great. So I, you know, this was just kind of a, a flyer for me. It was one that I got recommended by my favorite filmmaker and I just assumed that I just thought it would be a good one. I don't know. And it was, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was great, too. And what I found interesting is I, I'm i surprised at the fact that I personally have never heard of this movie. Outside of, of, of 
PTA talking about it. Have you ever heard it being discussed as a classic or anything like that? I mean, I've heard of it before in in passing. It's just it's not one that I I feel like regularly gets brought up in conversation. It's not a Citizen Kane of the world, but that doesn't sound weird to me though because this movie is really just a great little thriller and yeah. and you know it is i think it's elevated by the quality of the performances the direction all these things but at the end of the day it you know it doesn't strike me as like one of these generation defining films it's just like damn that was really freaking good man yeah it makes me wonder how many movies must be out there like this and hopefully we'll uncover a bunch through the course of this podcast but just movies that like are not known as as like super clear classics. This movie was fucking great, man. I yeah. fucking loved it, and I'm I'm re- I was walked away thinking like I'm really surprised that this movie is not talked about more. At least in my circles and just the, the other film buffs that I've bumped into over the years, I'm surprised that no one has mentioned this movie to me that yeah. I can remember because I thought it was super super good. And there were a lot of ways I think to gauge. To, to tell when I'm watching something, if I'm really into it. And here's one I want to tell you about right now. I actually texted you about this earlier. So for I like to watch the movies, if I can help it, at least twice before we start recording. And I had such a good time. I, I watched it once, and then I did the commentary track. And right before we hopped on, I was like, I want to go through again and just hear some of the dialogue, because I loved the way the words were flowing in the movie. And the commentary, obviously, was on top of that. And so, I, But I didn't have much time, so I was kind of just fast-forwarding through it. And it was, like, painful Try fast forwarding through parts of it. And I think right there is a, an obvious and clear sign that I'm really loving this movie. If like my objective is just to skim through it again and I'm finding it really hard to pick up the remote and fast forward things. Well, it's that it's that perfect kind of dialogue that is it's like that hard boiled de- detective type dialogue kind yep. of transposed into a different setting. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of of Coen Brothers stuff. It reminds me of, you know, all the I mean, it, it's clearly pulling a lot from film noirs of the day as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it, it's an interesting film in that it's blending themes and and uh, tropes and and structure from westerns and, and film noir, but it's creating something its own, which is really, really yeah. cool. Also, the fact that it's it's blending all these themes that you're saying, these different genres into one really cohesive and tight ball of energy but also it's got these interesting things of like a modern day western but it seems old-fashioned at the same time and i don't mean the fact that it came out in 55 i just mean like the mood like the character who steps in to this town like you know spencer tracy coming in it's like he's he's fallen out of time in a way when he steps off that train he's in like a different world so there's there's it's like you're watching an old-fashioned Western, but something's just not right because it's modern at the same time. Well, you know? and they're using that to their advantage to build this uncomfortable situation because, you know, like you said, like Spencer Tracy's character is like a man out of out of time in, in that space. And on top, it's like this movie's taking place at this interesting juncture where we haven't yet reached the point of um, these little towns being connected by like the internet and stuff, you know? Um, oh, for sure. So they still are isolated and they still kind of live in a lawless state in some ways. Yeah. But it's it's a more modern time than we've ever seen in like Westerns and stuff where they're playing on those same kind of ideas. 
So it, 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 it like feels like these people are just like fighting against the, the changes taking place in the world yeah. around them. And they've, they've isolated themselves in this way as like a buffer against, uh, you know, that encroaching, just like the, the, like change procession of time and change. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why I, it, it's like the film asks questions. I think the movie asks the questions like, why are they resisting change? Like to what end are they, what are they trying to hold on to here? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's, it's funny. Cause the movie is so tight, 80 minutes mm-hmm. it's in and out yet. It seems like it's really big in terms of this, the subjects it's hitting, and it's kind of an interesting movie to try to tackle. Well, we should start by saying, uh, in comparison to last week's movie, this is like a third the length of last week's yeah. movie. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the board. And obviously, Drew and I kind of had slightly different feelings about Seven Samurai, but it was just kind of a nice uh, change of pace to go into something so much leaner than Seven Samurai. And I don't mean that as like a disrespectful statement. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think these movies. I mean, it, it again going back to what you're saying about like kind of, uh, you know, the board works in mysterious ways. Like this movie is like, I I saw a lot of connections with Seven Samurai. I mean, Seven Ooh, Samurai is cool. playing on Western tropes too, and like I felt a lot of like, and not not thematically, not not you know structurally, but I think you know the fact that they're pulling from similar influences. You know, you can't help but have certain crossover stuff. Like you know, just as an example, like. I found it so funny. The the train station attendant telegram guy, he he's like the exact same character as that like frowny faced villager that's always looking <laughs> like he's scared as shit of everything. It's the same character. <laughs> that's so that's so true. The kind of cowardly, like uh like uh moppish or I don't even know what the word is, but yeah. The it's a trope from local. Westerns, dude. It's just this like this like squirrely guy on the fringes of town who's just like, oh, there's a thing happening. You know, that kind of energy. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And then, I mean, you were t- saying too, I like this, like the board works in mysterious ways. Cause I didn't think, I didn't really link this in my mind to Seven Samurai. And you're, you're right that, that it's, they're both Westerns in a lot of ways. Not that this is entirely. Well, they came out a, a year apart. Yeah. Oh God. Good, good, good time for movies. It seems like I, I, I just again was floored at how much I liked it and running through it from a story wise chronologically. Opening shots, I was like, I like this already. The helicopter shots of the train, seeing kind of the epic scope and the scale of the landscape around. Remind them. me to come back to that shot. Yeah, because that's because that, there's one shot where the, where the helicopter like drops down in front of the train and it's like tracking. It's like tracking shot in front. Oh, we'll of the talk about train. it. I've got an anecdote for that. Yeah. Okay, um, that's that's great because I'm anecdote free on this on this one, so that, that, <laughs> I'm going to be leaning on you for the dotes. Do it. Um, but um, and then it's just right after that, and it's a really pretty short credits intro. Yeah. Then Spencer Tracy arrives in town. We don't know anything about him, and the movie just starts. This is what I love about these kind of movies when they're done well. He shows up in town and the the dialogue between him and the train station attendant or no, excuse me. It's between him and like the conductor of the train. Mm -hmm. The the train conductor is like, why are you stopping here or something along those lines? And he says, oh, I'll only be here 24 hours. And the train conductor says in a place like this, that could be a lifetime. Mm -hmm. First two lines of the movie basically sets up everything you're about to watch. You're like, this guy's coming into town for a day. He's figuring this shit out. Might see some shit. Game on. Movie movie go. Yeah, you're right. That really sets it just it just sets the tone great. 
And I, I really do like movies like this where they just start. And I know that every movie does just start. But this just throws you right in it. We're there at the moment of arrival. We don't know anything about anybody's past in this movie. And and it just it just kind of patiently unfolds this information, but at such a great speed. Mm-hmm. And when you because you saw the movie before I did, you you texted me and you mentioned how it was 80 minutes. And when I read that, I thought it was I, I got a little bit nervous because I was like, that's too short for a movie. The only movie I've seen that's like less than 90 is have you ever seen the Jet Li film The One? No. It's awful. And it's less than an hour and a half. <laughs> is that one of his like American attempts? Yes. Okay. It's it's like very it's it's not good. So I have this sort of association. If a movie is less than an hour and a half, I get kind of dismissive. So I was nervous that 80 minutes was not really going to be enough time in some way. But I was I loved that at the conclusion of it, that was the perfect length for that story. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the things. It's like nothing felt wasted, but I didn't feel like it overstayed at all. Like they didn't yep. drag it out to hit 90 minutes for some odd reason. But it also doesn't feel like it's rushing. It doesn't feel like it's trying to get anywhere too fast. Like the dialogue scenes, specifically, I'm thinking of like everything between Spencer Tracy and Robert Ryan, where they're trying to figure each other out. And like I'm thinking, like the at the my favorite of those was the scene right after uh, Spencer Tracy confronts Anne Francis's character, uh, the the uh, girl who lends him his car or l- lends him her car. That after that scene, Robert Ryan kind of confronts Spencer Tracy again, and that's the that's kind of the come to Jesus moment where Spencer Tracy lays out. He's like, "Look, I don't believe anything you're telling me," um, and that the way that scene plays out, there's so much space between everything. They're trying to like read each other. There's a lot that's going unsaid. Oh yeah, there's a lot of times. There's a lot of time in this movie set and in this scene specifically for movement. Yes. Like people take time to to pivot over to a different different vantage point on the person they're talking to. Or Spencer Tracy will just absorb something that Robert Ryan says and it'll be on Spencer Tracy and he's just like, uh-huh. He's calculating and thinking yeah. and filtering it and thinking about it. So you're so right. The movie is not rushing at all. It's mm-hmm. it's just, to me, I was surprised that it was 80 minutes because it didn't feel like that in any way. It just felt like the perfect length. And you're right. These scenes are patient. No one is zipping through their dialogue unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And yet the movie just still, it just moves and it's so brisk, but so patient at the same time. It's such a weird and amazing combo. It's also really, really carefully constructed both visually and on a script level in terms of like setups and payoffs. I remember the first time I watched it, I missed that he had a lighter on him at all times. Um, and when he at the end, you know, kind of funnels a bunch of the the gasoline or whatever into that bottle and makes a kind of makeshift Molotov cocktail. I was like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, how is a one-armed man going to light this shit and like get, you know, do this? And then he pulls out the lighter and I'm like, oh, they set that up. And then I rewatch it and he's like very clearly like making a big show of pulling out a lighter early on and, and flicking it. And just to add to the, like everything, not that the tie that he's wearing needs to be set up, but I just love that everything that he uses to, f- to make the Molotov cocktail is just all, it all makes sense. It's either been set up or it's obvious that it's on him. Like the way he uses his tie as the a sort of, of thing the, to the light. The bottle in the hotel scene when he's confronting yep. the kid and getting him to like, you know, say his piece basically. And 
yeah, I mean, he's he's brandishing that bottle around that whole time yeah. and like using it for for moments in the story to be like, okay, time to have that drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. I don't know just, if it's the same bottle, but it's at least setting up a bottle in your head is like that. I that's think an it important is important element. Yeah, I think it is because it's just, and I guess it sounds it sounds like it wasn't uncommon at the time for people to travel with alcohol. <laughs> you know, certainly so, wasn't for Spencer Tracy, but not we'll get for to him that when we talk about him. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Uh, did, were there any other setups and payoffs that you wanted to hit to in terms of like structure? And things? I absolutely do. There, there's there's one payoff that I think is one of the m- best mic drop moments I've ever seen in movies, which is in the scene I referenced before where he's talking to Robert Ryan outside the garage. Can I guess? Go for it. Wildflowers? Absolutely. Because I... You know, you see, I love, and and this is credit to John Sturgis going all non-dialogue for a bit where Spencer Tracy takes the car out to um, Komoko's kind of estate. Mm -hmm. Adobo Flats or something like that. Adobo Flats, that's it. Yep. And he goes out there and um, sees the wildflowers. And that did not register with me that way at all when he did it. I just saw it as him kind of observing some small beauty in the middle of like devastation, which I thought was really, you know, just beautiful as like an image. But I love that Sturgis does that whole scene non-verbally. You know, it's Mm. just Spencer Tracy kind of observing the stuff. And then after the chase scene, which is thrilling and we'll get to that too, but um, you have all that stuff and then it's Robert Ryan and, and Spencer Tracy talking and he reveals that the wildflowers are the giveaway that there's a grave Mm. there and my heart dropped, and I was like, fuck, this yeah. movie is a different movie than I thought it was entirely, and it reframes everything that's happened to that point in terms of like what Robert Ryan is doing, why he's doing it. Like, mm-hmm. It clarifies the whole movie in one line, and it was like, fuck me, that's yeah. so good. Well, what's so cool about when he's first poking around the adobo flats and other than the wildflowers things, because the way they shot it, I was like, okay, so that that's important. So I, I had a feeling it was going to, I personally thought it was going to show up again. But other than that, you know, he walks over to the mine shaft or whatever it is, the the, the, the well, and just kind of kicks something in it and then pretty much leaves. And I, and I was thinking like, like, what information was he going for here? And it's so fun that we, on first viewing with the audience, we still don't know what he's doing here. We're, we're, we're really lost. We don't know. That's like halfway through the movie. And it's, I love that we're so, we don't know why the town's people are so on edge and so prickly. And we don't know why Spencer Tracy is even there. So, and, and again, it kind of reminds me of burning in this way. I'm not annoyed by any of this lack of no, knowledge. It like never at no feels point like, am I frustrated. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're constantly trying to pick up on clues and the dialogue is yeah. so well paced that you're. Mm-hmm. I think that's another. I, I love that the fact that this movie doesn't rush through dialogue allows you to really absorb it and kind of just like yeah. be present with these characters. I don't know. I loved it. Yeah, it's just cool that there's a scene like this, and we like we don't really know his motivations at all, and it still just works great. We know he's curious. As, he wants to go to this place for some reason that's unknown, and 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 he's curious as to what may have happened there, but it still just works. You know, it breaks a lot of storytelling conventions. You know. But it, I don't know. It just it works really well for me. Totally. No, I I think yeah. it's yeah. It, it's just a really really well written movie. Um, let's talk about Spencer Tracy a little bit. Yeah, for sure. 
Have you ever seen a Spencer Tracy movie before? No. So I know the name. Spencer Tracy is something I've heard my whole life. I think a lot of times I get it confused with Dick Tracy, but which is just, I think that's just a term, right? For a detective type or like a detective well, character. Dick Tracy right? was a detective character from like serial comics in the like thirties and forties right. or something. So I've, but I have heard the name of the actor Spencer Tracy. And unless one has snuck by that, I didn't know he was in that I have seen. I'm not aware of ever seeing, ever having seen before this, a Spencer Tracy movie. So I didn't know anything about, I knew he was an important actor in history, but I don't know anything about his life outside of this film. Really? Yeah. How about you? Did you, had you seen some, some Spencer Tracy stuff before? I've definitely seen at least one. The one that I've seen that I, I still like love and, and you think, you know, I've, I've thought about putting on the board, honestly, too, uh, is inherit the wind, which is mm. a movie that is kind of a, a recreation of the uh, the Scopes Monkey Trial from the 1920s, which was the trial that involved a school teacher who had taught evolution in school and was being basically attacked by the church and by the the local community for for doing so. Um, and Spencer Tracy plays the defense attorney who defends this mm. this teacher. Yeah, so you had seen. A couple of of Spencer Tracy performances, like like Inherit the Wind. Inherit the Wind was an incredible performance, and I think is much in the same vein of this, where it's just a guy who sees through the absurdities of everyone around him. Yeah, and I think you would really enjoy that movie for that level. I think, and 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 you also, I think, gravitate towards movies that are about ideological differences I feel like yeah um, and that movie is very much that so mm. I highly recommend that but anyway that's the only other Spencer Tracy I've seen I believe and I just I, I loved this performance in Bad Day at Black Rock it was so good and so controlled um, and it made me want to dig into so much more of his work I was convinced that this person had one arm so especially when he's doing things like opening a pack of cigarettes with his teeth like Spencer Tracy, like is really, he really looks like someone who has lost his left arm and is very accomplished with just using the one, and mm-hmm. and can get through life no problem with just the function of the one arm. I feel like we're constantly seeing him doing, kind of dexterous and complicated things in a in a very smooth manner for someone who has it, and that must have taken a lot of practice, to 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 pull off convincing. That it's like this guy looks like he has been functioning with the use of one arm for years and has gotten it down. And obviously that was not the case, you know. You know what's a funny thing I read about that is, um, so one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the fight scene where yeah. he kicks Ernest Borgnine's ass mm-hmm. uh, with one arm. And I read something where Spencer Tracy apparently complained during the filming of that sequence that it was completely unbelievable and that uh, there was no way that that would ever be able to happen. Apparently, some Marine drill sergeant guy watched this movie and commented that no, the karate chop that that guy delivers, if that was a full blow, it could potentially kill that guy. And that all of those moves were legitimate, like potential moves that a one armed man could pull off if he was trained properly. Dude, it's fascinating that you said that because I was going to ask you this. (laughs) I don't have no idea if that's true, but. 
I was going to ask you if if you bought that because that, that was in my tiny little quibbles about the movie. Oh, it's really? Like, See, I was yeah. so stoked with that scene just when being just like a that. shocker that oh, he I like kicks the this scene. guy's ass. I, was like, I love the yes, scene. Yes, this is awesome. Like we all want to see that guy get the shit kicked out of him and we get to see it. But I was going to ask you if if you bought that that chop was as powerful as it was. And no, again, I but, love the no, scene. No, but it's a 50s action scene, yeah. whatever. Like It looked almost like a backhand. And the no, guy but goes I, like think, I think what that Marine guy was saying was that like like if you hit that spot with enough force you could totally kill a person yeah no that's i'm happy to hear that there was some like some actual like physical truth to it you know yeah but it was just it's just funny that i was i i was like spencer tracy was a little bit we're thinking like that doesn't really look like he's beating the shit out of that guy looks like he just hit him on the the back and then the guy's like ah like falling out the door (laughs) But again, I, I like this scene a lot. Don't get me wrong. I was just kind of smirking at it a little bit. Well, I, I do want to talk about just Spencer Tracy generally, though. Because yeah, so you did a little I, research, I got right? Really, I I, yeah, like after this movie, I was just so into that performance that I wanted to know a lot more about this person. So he was referred to as the greatest actor of his generation by like a lot of really, really well-respected people uh, like you know, Clark Gable has referred to him as that. James Cagney, Humphrey Bogart, John Ford, uh, Catherine Hepburn, who was his lover for a long time. But hmm. um, he, he, everyone in his generation of actors seems to just like idolize this guy because they said he was just the most naturalistic actor that they had ever seen. He would come to set. He refused to do more than two two shots of any sequence. He just nailed it in one most times and at most would let a second one happen. But he was apparently kind of an asshole, too. And he just would be like, no, I'm not I'm not doing a second one. Um, Mm. But anyway, he I found him interesting. He was such a massive alcoholic. Let me tell you how big of an alcoholic he would be. I'm going to quote from uh, a review I don't remember if this review is quoting from the book, but it's a review of a book about Spencer Tracy. And this guy quotes from the book basically and says, he was not an alcoholic where he was constantly drunk. He would go on binges. He, when he was on set, he would go cold turkey, sober. He would not drink. He actually would host like cocktail parties at the end of every shoot night uh, where he would invite all the cast and crew to his place for drinks, but he would only drink like seven up or something. Mm. Um, so he was a bender guy. He would just launch on these crazy benders. So let me tell you about how insane Tracy's benders were. (laughs) Tracy's binges usually lasted about two weeks as he did not like to fly. This is, he came from LA. He said he would take the Santa Fe chief and the 20th century limited trains to New York, which took about four days and check into the St. George carrying a suitcase filled with whiskey bottles. According to a St. George bellhop I interviewed in 1960, Tracy would lock himself in the room, strip naked, and get into the bathtub. He would remain in the bathtub for a week, drinking up all the whiskey and not having to get out of the tub even to perform bodily functions. (laughs) At the end of the week, his binge having run most of its course, he cleaned himself up, dressed, took the suitcase now containing empty bottles, and checked out. I probably shouldn't laugh because that is that is a serious it's horrifying. That's a serious alcohol. Like the fact that you're just shitting in a tub and yeah. drinking whiskey for days. Well, and there's days, a reason he died at age 60. That makes sense. It's shocking that he made it that far. 
if that was his lifestyle, that's but, insane. You know, just one of those classic Hollywood things where he would he would do these benders just to get his fix, go to set, get his shit done, and then like that was his release. It's insane. But yeah. it worked for him in some ways, except for, you know, killing him eventually. But Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's a fascinating guy. Like like and th- he was just like he was so coveted as an actor. Apparently on this movie, he like a day or two before filming was going to back out and he was like I'm not doing it. He was also prone to anxiety and depression and would have these bouts where he just like ha- went into a complete just like basically coma of like, you know, self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And I guess he must have been in one of those states before this. And he was just like, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. And they sent and they told him they were sending an offer to like this actor that he had a rivalry with and it triggered him to like come into the movie. (laughs) Um, So stuff like that. But also like when they were offering him this movie, apparently um, I think he's one of the producers. Uh, His last name is scary. S C H A R Y. I don't remember, but he offered, um, he he was worried that Tracy wasn't going to accept the role and he ordered that the script be changed to make McCready a one-armed man because he concluded that no actor would turn down the chance to play an actor with a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of truth to that still to this day, I feel. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was a funny trivia yeah, that no, kind of changed tangentially to Tracy. But anyway, this guy is just like, he's, he's crazy. Like, I can't believe that that was his lifestyle. Mm. God, and he really is so good in this movie. And especially once we figure out, it's on second watch, after you know his his history. And he, like, because when I was watching the movie, before it's revealed Trace, uh, Tracy's reasons for being there anyway, I assumed he arrived to town knowing there was something fishy going on. And he did a little bit because he kept having his letters rerouted. But I thought he was like a private investigator or something like that. Again, kind of going into that, noir direction that you totally. were talking about earlier well he's wearing um, the hat he's coming yeah. out of town kind of a man with no name yeah which is that is obviously super western too is is the stranger coming in from out of town but it's also a town full of strangers to us too um, but and, but i see what you're saying it's also kind of like in the noir thing where it's like a detective kind of infiltrating and in like an underbelly yeah. of society a little bit but on second viewing when you know everything it's really fun watching him kind of kind of pick up the pieces along the way of what's going on and, and bring it together. And I also love watching the scenes of how calm he is in the face of this constant abuse that he's under mm-hmm. and the fact that he does not overreact at, under extreme pressure to do so. And that is also really fun to watch, that this person is in very serious danger and knows it but is able to maintain a balance and it makes sense for the character because of their, their history in the war and everything else as we, as we find more about him. So it's just, it is an awesome performance. that's difficult to take your eyes off, but I also wanted to mention if we could kind of pivot from Spencer Tracy, yeah, let's get into other performances to Robert Ryan. Cause, cause those scenes don't work if, cause Spencer Tracy is obviously shooting the lights. He's doing a great, delivering great performances but not to be outdone is robert ryan and he i don't know he is 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 a completely different energy obviously but when they are verbally jousting and stuff i have so much fun watching those scenes you mentioned the one at the gas station 
pumps. The second one, actually, they have. I feel like they have two conversations at that gas station. One when he first rents the Jeep, and the other when when he's kind of denied. But Robert Ryan is is also very hard to take my eyes off of. I think I find him kind of a fascinating performance, great energy of this man. Who oh, he's has, so sinister, man. He has so much control and power over the town. Yeah. And he's terrified of it slipping away from him. And it kind of recognizes that it's his his control of the situation is really, really flimsy. And it's kind of spiraling away from him. It's a it's a great, great performance. No, I I, I think it's it's a amazing performance. And and actually, um going back to Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy actually like was a, he loved Robert Ryan's performance, and he said he said on set it scared the hell out of him, is what he said. Yeah, because he is very menacing. He said to Millard Kaufman, "Bob is so good in this part, it scares the hell out of me." And when Kaufman expressed the same, this is all from IMDb trivia, so take this with a grain of salt. But uh, when Kaufman said that he agreed, Tracy replied, "That's good. It means he'll scare the hell out of the audience too." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Like, yeah, I just I don't know. I love I love hearing that like Tracy notorious like." kind of stick up his ass alcoholic you know kind of just get in get out like get the job done kind of guy you know that he's appreciating that guy's performance like that in the moment that's really cool yeah i love that scene with robert ryan kind of when they're at the tracks the train tracks in the town discussing whether or not they should kill uh mccready who you know spencer tracy's character mm-hmm. uh it's just I don't know the way he's he's weighing his options and 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 belittling people and and politically managing the situation through very bullyish behavior and very mm-hmm. kind of aggressive behavior. Well, he's making every, he's making his problems everyone else's. Yeah, he's he's being yes he, he has, killed Kamoko. He didn't yeah. like those guys didn't do it. They just got drunk and were going to go and came like, with harass him. But yeah, yeah, he pulled them all into this this situation. And I don't know. I just love the scenes of him trying to maintain control of things. And I'm obviously mm-hmm. super glad that it doesn't work out for him. But um, it's just it's just I don't know. There's something about him that is menacing and very eerie, uh, but also charismatic. And it, it's it's understandable that this man gained control of these people because he is he does have a thing about him that makes that that draws you to him and makes you yeah. think he has the answers or something. He's got know? a magnetic quality. He just sound, seems very in control of the situation. Yeah. He's got the slow movements of the hands. He seems he doesn't seem worried, you know, he seems ponderous and thoughtful. And then yeah, you could just tell the way him and Tracy are jousting. That it's a very balanced clash. Totally. They're, they're both kind of respecting the other, but trying to get a read and trying to yep. best the other. And it's it's fascinating to see that dance. Well, they're matching verbally. wits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's I, I the commentary track I listened to mentioned it and I thought they were right. It's a chess match. Mm-hmm. It really is a chess match between the two characters. And uh, I couldn't agree more. No. Well, before we move off of Robert Ryan, I did want to mention, you know, going back to setups and payoffs, I think he gets one of the best ones, which is where they set up the fact that, um, Robert Ryan, you know, basically burned uh, Kamoko before he killed him. Yeah. And then he's, you know, dies by fire at the end and is like, like they talk about when, when the kid is explaining what happened, you know, to Kamoko, he describes it as Robert Ryan set the building on fire. Kamoko came running out on fire and they yeah. shot him. Yeah. Or, or that, or Robert Ryan shot him. 
Um, and yeah, I don't know. Poetic justice. I love it. Yeah. Frontier justice, one might say, <laughs> you know, to use a hateful eight term. But um, um, are there any other performances that you want to give shout outs from just the cast specifically? Well, I mentioned it before. Ernest Borgnine is uh, kind of a classic Hollywood comedian, you know, kind of he I mean, he won an Oscar. He's he's just he's a guy that uh, kind of played character actor parts for years and years and years. What a great Um, heel. What a great heel he is in this movie. Yeah, he's a perfect because because you're just like, you know, he's he's the guy who's like, yeah, no shit. This guy is following Robert Ryan like that. Of course, he's the the mindless muscle behind this guy. My God, the scene in the cafe when he is just goading and needling and, and, and pushing Tracy down the stool line and everything else. I was just sitting there. I can't tell you, Drew, how badly I wanted Spencer Tracy to take a bite of the chili. And he just... It's 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 gotta be. I who knows how long the scene is before, but he's just like seasoning it, salt and pepper, and he's just like getting ready to take a bite, but he just keeps getting moved around and keeps getting sucked into this ridiculous conversation. And I'm just sitting there like, just take a bite of the damn chili. I bet it's pretty good. Like I like just so annoyed that he can't satisfy just even this basic moment. Oh, it was it was literally like making me ball my fist almost. Like I'm not, I mean, not that extreme. Yeah. But Borgnine really is is the classic heel. But do you think do you think that Borgnine outheels Lee Marvin? Like who do you think is the more obnoxious and annoying kind of henchman of the two? Borgnine's the more annoying henchman, but uh, Marvin carries some gravitas. I'll, I'll give him credit. I, I mean, Lee Marvin is a classic actor of like war movies and westerns and stuff. So like he totally fits the part that he's playing. I, I, I didn't like think he stood out in a large way, though. I, I preferred Borgnine. What do you feel like? Well, I was just thinking of who who is like who would get under my skin more. And Lee Marvin, like and, he, and he's the guy who's always smoking. And he when he rips the cables out of the tr- out of the car that the doctor is giving to Spencer Tracy and the wires. It's just like, oh my God, fuck this guy, man. Well, he's also ashing on his bed in the scene yeah, where he like, comes into the hotel room. Sitting in his bed. Oh, he's just so, so he's obnoxious. Hateable. He's, he's hateable. so hateable. But I think Borgnine is almost more aggressively hateable. You well, know. it's because Borgnine carries that smile and you're just like, I want to slap that smile off your face. Yeah. But it's it's so cool that they're both so different. Yeah. Like, like honestly, Lee Marvin doesn't really get physical in the movie. He really gets he gets hit at one point by the fire hose, but he doesn't really he's just all intimidation and threatening violence, but never acting it out. Um, but it's it's Borgnine who's a little bit more explosive. And a little bit more physical, but they're both so hateable. Yeah. Just like, yeah. God damn these people. It is crazy, though. I mean, this movie has, uh, f- I think, four different Oscar winners in it. Mm. Ernest Borgnine won at least one Oscar. Uh, Dean Jagger won an Oscar, which I want to talk about him in a second. Walter Brennan won three Oscars, actually. Uh, I believe they're all supporting actor. But, Walter uh, Brennan is someone yeah. I'm going to so, want to talk about, too, even just briefly. Actually, I'll just say it now. I love his accent he has such a thick because he's from lynn massachusetts i did look him up just once because i for a second i was like wait a minute wait a minute my ears perked up it's like is that a fellow mainer that is that a main accent i hear so close close to it not quite but i love that he didn't change it at all for being this person in the west and i don't think it needs to change 
because the West is a place that draws people from all over the country and they can kind of wash up there in a lot of ways. So it makes sense that this might have been a doctor from Massachusetts who at some point like moved here and didn't lose his accent. Like he doesn't stick out, but I just love listening to that accent and it's super thick. He he makes no he has no interest in dialing it back or perhaps the director had no interest in dialing it back, you know. Um, I'm going to send you an image right real quick in the chat because I need you to see this uh, foreign poster for the movie. Pulling it up now. What? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Mount Rushmore of... What Robert Ryan, Ernest Borgnine, and Lee Marvin in a Mount Rushmore formation, basically just on a rock behind Spencer Tracy on the railroad track. Okay, it's so if really we're gonna if we're poster. ever gonna do like individual images for the episodes, we have to make this the thumbnail. <laughs> this international poster is so ridiculous. I want to get this for my house, dude. Does okay, does Robert Ryan not look like Dan Aykroyd there? He looks like a cross between Dan Aykroyd and David Lynch. (laughs) It's crazy. And Lee Marvin looks like he does in like the war pictures that he's in in the 60s and 70s. He looks nothing like he does in this movie. Also, I don't think there's a single point in this movie where we see Lee Marvin without his hat on. And I get it. You can't really have the hat. Look at how old Ernest Borgnine is. They pulled this picture of Ernest Borgnine from like the 80s. Borgnine looks more like Martin Balsam than himself, honestly. He does. So it's just and Martin Balsam for those. It was a was it the guy who hijacked the train and taking a Pelham? Like it's just crazy. Anyway, we should at least link to it in the show notes so people can see what the hell we're talking about because it is a wild poster. And I'm gonna do. I'm gonna look into obtaining this somehow from a house. It looks. It looks like it's a Spanish language poster. I don't know if it's from Spain or Mexico, but uh, yeah. the title is Conspiración de Silencio. So the conspiracy of silence. That's pretty good. That's a good name. That's not a bad name at all. Or Silence Conspiracy. I don't know. I don't know how, how it would go. But, but great poster. I want that on my wall. Yeah, I'm getting it, dude. I'm, getting, I'm so glad that you sent that to me. I wanted to say, you know, we kind of I feel like we're rounding the corner on performances. I wanted to yeah. mention that scene at the train tracks where they're kind of deciding to kill Spencer Tracy's character, or at least attempt to. There's something, there's a shot in there when it's it's right after the sheriff character walks off screen and leaves and the and the, the the frame just sits there and the composition of the shot something about it just like is so great i couldn't take my eyes off it's like something about the angles mm-hmm. and the way the way people are standing the mountains in the background the 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 poles the 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 rooftops of the town it's carefully constructed but it it feels natural too yeah and it's it's it works, and it's so interesting because when we talked about Kurosawa last week and how on second viewing I really got into how great his shots were, this is something that is that is great as well, but I feel like very different. Yeah. And it's a little bit more stagey, but I mean that as, as not that one is superior to the other. It just was so different, but equally arresting for me. And that mm-hmm. was the shot that if, like, I, if I could pull one a screen grab of it and have that on my wall for this movie. It would be that one where they're all standing there. It was just something about it was so powerful to me. I really can't. I don't have that exact image in my head. I'd have to see it again. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he uh, Sturgis is clearly 
really, really talented with the camera. I the yeah. the thing that Such stuck out to me. Too. Sorry, a lot of yeah, a lot of lateral movement. He he really so. You know, one thing that I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up because it kind of gets into the weeds of of kind of technicalities of film. But um, at this time, a really popular format of film and presentation is what was called CinemaScope. And this movie was shot in CinemaScope. Basically, it was one of the early movies that tried to achieve this really widescreen image with kind of, you know, that's why you get those black bars on the screen because it, like the frame that they the director chose, they wanted a lot of room for lateral movement across that frame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really popular in in a lot of action filmmaking um, and a lot of westerns too. I feel. A lot of westerns, yeah. Anything with big vistas like large landscapes, that's that's all uh, generally shot in. And you know, it's not called cinemascope now technically because we use different techniques. Um, it's not the same film stock as they used at the time, but we same aspect ratio is used mm-hmm. nowadays for action films and stuff like that. So, point being, a um, lot of lateral movement with his camera work, and the the stuff that stuck out to me a lot was he uses a lot of stuff with reflections and people yes, behind does. windows and things happening within the the reflection on the window in front of that person, mm-hmm. and it's something that. You know, going back a couple of weeks to our Spielberg conversation, Spielberg does that shot all the time. Mm. And I wonder if he pulled that from Sturgis or if Sturgis, you know, I, I, I love the lineage of these kind of techniques that, you know, where it comes from. I wonder who influenced who. But at the end of the day, he does a lot of it and it's beautiful work in this film. Yeah. I mean, this and the cinemascope works so well for the vistas you know it's kind of a it's a bit of a layup when you have an american western that has such beautiful landscape and scenery around it but it really was arresting to me in this movie i was just like holy shit i would make noises occasionally through the movies like those mountains are just incredible and you know a couple of times in the shot the mountains are cropped out because they're too big to even fit in the shot but then others are really open and expansive and it just really was some powerful visual filmmaking. And what I loved about it is what it was combined with, which is an extreme sense of claustrophobia. Yep. And the movie has so much of that in, in going on. And I've, we, you and I both love of several movies that focus on claustrophobia. An easy, an easy example would be something like The Thing, which I think obviously makes a ton of direct comparisons, uh, direct lines to this movie on purpose. For and sure. Gives a ton of shout outs. And I'm sure we'll get to those in maybe in the wrap up area. But one thing that's interesting about the thing is the surrounding elements give you this sense of hopelessness in the fact that the, the weather is so brutal that there's just nowhere to go. Yep. This movie is different in the fact that they don't really, other than the fact that it's very isolated. They don't show the environment as being incredibly risky. So you have this really interesting conflict of this extreme sense of paranoia, but also this very expansive and open and big landscape. So it's almost like a combination of claustrophobia and agoraphobia. It's really, really strange. And it works, I think, super, super well. Well, no, I mean, I think I think the comparison to the thing is perfect because this this town, it it seemingly is only accessible by train, 
uh, in terms of like, that's the only way in and out, or at least that's how the movie frames the town and establishes like the place. And I think that's really fascinating. And, and I, you know, there are bits of dialogue, um, where they hint at the fact that if you were to try and walk your way out of this town, you're going to die. Um, that specifically Walter Brennan talking to Spencer Tracy hints at that when Tracy's considering his options for how to get away. Um, so, you know, they, they do, they are establishing a lot of the same thing where, you know, what are you going to do? Like you're, you're here, you got, there's no cars out of here now. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's so, it's so good. It's so and good. And they also establish that through the train because the train, they keep commenting on the fact that the train hasn't stopped there in four years and Spencer yeah. Tracy's the only one to come there. Yeah. It's just, it just seems so inescapable. And I agree. I mean, it's not that, that there's nothing to agree. The doctor character does say that, like you can't walk out of here, you'll die. But something about the way they shoot the landscape, it doesn't seem inherently threatening. You know, it's the humans that have made it so threatening, I think. No, and but I do think I do think he's careful to use like it's he's very careful about the fact that he's showing mountains encircle all of this. Like whether they they are off in the distance, but he's using a lot of telephoto lens where the 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 mountains feel really imminent and they're right on top of people. Yeah. Like even if you logically can parse out a way that maybe this place isn't as isolated as it is, it feels isolated. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Kind of carrying on with some of the other thing connections too. I wanted to mention just uh, when Lee Marvin rips the wiring out of the vehicle, of the doctor's vehicle. That <laughs> reminded me so much of the when um, the doctor character uh-huh. in the thing smashes up. You know the uh, what do they call? He's it? going the wild. He's like, wow. Yeah, and he's, <laughs> and he's he's and the other guy's trying to reach someone on like the the intercom that looks like an operating thing, a, a operator thing almost. So I don't know. There, it's just thing references all over it, and of course, McCready, being the character mm-hmm. name of of Spencer Tracy, is is hundred percent. I did not make that connection, and that is brilliant. You're absolutely right. He Carpenter one hundred percent pulled that name from this movie. Yeah, McCready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I if you it. listen to interviews with Carpenter, like this is the kind of movie that he was obsessed with. Like John Ford, John Sturgis, Howard Hawks, like that. Those are his guys. Yeah, it makes sense. It adds up, you know. Yeah. Um, when, you know, as we're talking about the, the kind of the paranoia that the movie instills in the viewer, and it's obviously reflected of the, the townsfolk are incredibly paranoid as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that dovetails nicely into kind of a talk about what this movie's kind of trying to tackle philosophically? Do you think that makes Absolutely. sense to go there now? Yeah, let's talk yeah. about it. I mean, this movie came out in 1955. Um, contextually, it was in the middle of the McCarthy era, which if, you know, people aren't brushed up on their history was basically a, you know, a witch hunt, uh, where a hyper conservative, uh, Senator Congressman, I can't remember exactly which formed a committee to try and suss out where, uh, communist communist sympathies were within specifically, they went after the Hollywood community because it was what was going to get them a bunch of attention at the time. Um, so that's on top of mind for everyone in Hollywood during the making of this movie. Um, not to mention, you know, this is kind of coming at a time where progressive ideas are first starting to bubble up in terms of, you know, considering, uh, racism and xenophobia and, you know, these things are, I, and not to say that they weren't, 
uh, ever a part of the conversation before this, but certainly like, you know, this is like the precursor to the hippie era in the sixties, like kind of like starting to think about these things and starting to think about, okay, well, what are we doing to our fellow humans? Is this okay? Um, and I think this movie is, is clearly a reflection of some of that, that, you know, what's going on at the time. Um, you know, that, that confrontation between, um, trying to suppress progress in the name of keeping what is comfortable yeah uh feels like really palpable to me in this movie yeah and and trying to resist change in order to keep up an, an amount of power that someone might have and that's clearly Absolutely. you know it seems to be what the Reno Reno Smith character is all about is trying to mm-hmm. he's just trying to cling to this last piece of power that he has, which is probably why he's so resistant to all these changes. But well, yeah, just- but he's also, he's also fighting against what it says about himself that he did the thing that he did. He's, yeah. he's suppressing the fact that he killed someone out of pure prejudice and hate, Yeah, you know? Um, and, and he, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think maybe we can hit it now too. We we didn't really we mentioned the scene that it takes place in, but we didn't really give a shout out to the 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 definitions of the West speech that he delivers, which is really great. When he do you remember that when they're at the gas station pumps, and it's when Spencer Tracy is really kind of keying in on him, and Robert Ryan gives that great speech about and about the different terms of the West. You know, historians call it the Old West, like story. You know writers authors called the wild west thing you know but to us it's our west and all this stuff and then spencer tracy's just like but what it why why do you why do you want people to leave you alone leave you alone to do what and i don't know it's just like i don't know there's something in that monologue that was really kind of shaking me up but well yeah i mean like they they hint at it earlier i don't remember what robert ryan says that triggers this in tracy but um mccready tracy's character uh alludes to the fact that he's like it's interesting. I, I thought the West was known for its hospitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah, that and, was and, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Oh, it's a it's it's a hand me down from the old West, you know, suspicion of outsiders and stuff." So he's there. Right. That's what it is, and yeah. that's the first conversation they have. So right out the gate, he's talking about the old West, and it, and he's almost saying it. I don't know, obviously it's all part of a ruse, conversationally, but still, he's saying it with a sort of pride, like a hand me down yeah. from the old days and stuff. But it's so interesting because it's like like he's he's letting on exactly who he is right away because he's he's indicating the fact that all of his decision making is coming from a place of fear. Yeah, it's all about the fear of an encroaching outsider or a new idea or some. It's some conflict with what he understands as the world. Yeah, and you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you mentioned it with the xenophobia. You know, he really just, he really embodies that feeling of when that can just get taken into such negative extremes. And it's really, uh, should be, can be applauded that this movie is calling out the Japanese internment camps from World War II, not, not, not 10 years, maybe 13 years or so after it had occurred, um, that's pretty commendable. I, I obviously we don't have a deep knowledge of films of this time, but it seems pretty surprising that a, a, a big, a, a kind of a big budget American movie from '55 is so aggressively calling out negative history that is not that far in the rearview mirror from when it came out. No. And I think it's it's 
like I said, to be commended and applauded. Well, this the movie was shot right down the road from where one of those Japanese internment camps That's was. That's crazy. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, th- I mean, it's clearly top of mind, you know, on this. And, and again, kind of going back to what I alluded to earlier was with Spencer Tracy and his kind of staunchly democratic progressive mentality. Like, like this is very much tying into that. He is, this is, you know, in, in a lot of, and I don't, I don't want to ascribe too much political like intent behind this film uh, because you know, well, that should be outside of politics, you know. Well, like, no, no, no. I, I, okay. I say that because um, specifically, like, I read a bunch of stuff about how um, how Walter Brennan was a staunchly conservative person and Spencer Tracy was staunchly Democrat, and they came to blows quite often on set hmm. um, because of that. So so I'm, I guess I'm saying, like, I don't think this movie was intended to necessarily be a middle finger to like those ideas necessarily, but it's certainly confronting them and it's doing so in a way that is building it around a genre movie really, you know, about a, a, you know, it's really like a a tight thriller, but they're packaging in these, these ideas that I think like, I didn't know movies at this time were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's got really big ideas kind of dressed in this sort of kind of pulpy, normal clothing and like things like i don't know i just was like the idea of of kind of xenophobia in the nation is always so bizarre because like in terms of the perspective of kind of kind of like western europeans it's like we are a nation of outsiders so it's so bizarre that the people who come here at some point some of them become suspicious of outsiders it's like what are we what like Aren't we all what even outsiders? is an outsider at this point? Yeah. Yeah. The only person in America that's not an outsider is a Native American. Like everyone and, else and we here. called them the outsider yeah, when we landed here. For sure. And it's just, um, I think this movie kind of really, really kind of is, is trying to say something about that. Just sort of the, the nature of xenophobia and how absurd it is for, in a nation of people composed of outsiders. Well, I think, I think the movie does a really good job too of by the end of this movie, you really do feel like, Holy shit, Robert Ryan, you're such a fucking backwards ass dumbass. Like yeah. you you present this air of cool, calm, collected. I've I run this fucking town. But really you're you're a small person who yeah. has even no get complexity into the army. whatsoever. Yeah. 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 He's uh he's a disgusting kind of person that it, and you can see when he loses his power. It's like, oh yeah, no wonder he was terrified of losing it. He's aware of his own shortcomings and ineptitudes and he knew it was all going to come crumbling down. And Tracy Despite even calls him out on that. what he presents, he's holding on by a fucking thread. Yeah, he's, he's by his nails and he he knows it's 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 kind of coming over. And, like it's, and Tracy calls him out on that at the end of the, the judo chop diner scene. He's like, uh, he's like, you and you know it, this, ends, this is going to end badly for you and something along those lines. Um, so yeah, it's just um, I, I I thought this movie had just has a lot to kind of explore. I'm gonna be very quick to recommend this movie to people. I already recommended it to my parents on the phone today. Like uh, I think this movie is fucking sick, and I bought it on I'm, Blu-ray after I rented it because I was like, I need to own this in a physical media form. Yeah, I think, and it because it's so short, I think it's gonna be a movie I revisit pretty often. Like it's, totally. It's it's such so great. And I had a great little interaction at Videodrome, the brick and mortar DVD rental place in Atlanta that I go to. There isn't really a John Sturgis section. So I just went in there 
and asked him to find it for me, the person who was working there. And he's like, oh, yeah, great movie. And then he like walked over and he's like, oh, it wasn't there. And he's like, oh, it's in the Western section. And he like grabbed it. He's like, it's weird, though. It's like it's it's not really a Western. So I had like, all these like interesting little clues, like video store person said it was a great movie. And it's kind of a Western. And then like that's really fun. And we haven't mentioned it yet. The car chase. Do you, are you in the mood to talk about the fucking car chase? Let's talk about the car chase. It's yeah. great. Because that's a bit of like suspension action in the movie. And it was tense as hell. Fucking car chase had me on the edge of my seat. I was like, this is incredible. He's driving one handed, open top Jeep. Edge of like a, of a dirt ravine. road on the corners. Oh, yeah. And, the, and just really getting hit by the other vehicle. And the way it is shot is great. And it had, it had me thinking like, how great action can often be shot just really simply. Sure. And I want to be clear that, I mean, simple does not mean easy. It's a, it's a, it's a, I can't imagine how challenging it is. To, You're just to saying in terms like of that. like, it's not like doing anything flashy. It's yeah. just kind of like hey, here's, here's pr- what, properly framing, properly moving the camera. Just it, It's just right. Yeah. And just the setting where the action is taking place. Again, on that cliffside, or it's not really yep. a cliffside, but it's it's a steep end right over the other side. And it's like a lot can go wrong from a stunt perspective and just from a coordination perspective. And there are just these these little these shots. There's one point where like the the car that's doing the ramming like like roars up on its on the side of the road a little bit, like the steeper side that's going uphill. And there's just all these crazy cool moments in this sequence. And it's like this is tense as hell. And you look at something like maybe the chase sequence in the matrix reloaded, which is an incredible chase sequence, but it's just on the opposite end of the spectrum of that's got so much going on and it's using so many tricks. This movie shows you, you don't need all those elements. It's a very simple chase sequence, dirt road, two cars, one bumping into the other. That's all it is. But it's, Every time that car taps the other car, you think something terrible is going to happen because it's just a wide frame of a car running into a car mm-hmm. on a fucking cliffside. And you're like, yeah. this literally could, could go could wrong. Happen. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, it is, it's amazing. We have all these different types of chase scenes, but it was just so fucking cool to see one that's just really doing it or certainly looks like it's really doing it. And it was just a great, great, great sequence. A little short. But it's like it didn't. It didn't need to be longer. It got its point it's across. And it was amazing. It was perfect. It was great. Yeah. I mean, he runs him off the road. It like it's a little anticlimactic, I guess. But whatever. I loved it. Do we have anything else we want to kind of wrap up on? Any like I, I think we're kind of nearing the end here, don't you? Yeah. No, I feel the same way. I'm looking at our little list of things we wanted to hit. I'm gonna be very, very quick to recommend this movie going forward. I'm gonna be it's pitching so it to people. Easy to recommend. It's. It's fucking I'm awesome. I'm going to loan this Blu-ray out like it's fucking nobody's business. Well, it'd be cool if we get interaction. Like if you're if you're someone we know or maybe someone we don't know, love to hear from you too. I mean, we'll have all that information at the end of the episode. Did this feel timeless to y'all too, the, the listeners? Like, because it feels that way to us and it'll be interesting too to, to, to see what other people think. Look, I mean, I, I want to get a following not because of like fucking ad revenue and shit. I want to get a following because I want to hear what people react to with these kind of movies because no. this is this is the kind of movie that is exactly why I love this concept of the the show because it's the kind of movie that I want to explore more. Like yeah. This is a movie that I never would have looked at if Paul Thomas Anderson didn't even didn't didn't say that it was something that 
he really responded to. Yeah. And I hope that this show can be an inspiration for some other people to, to maybe track down some stuff that we throw out there randomly that are like, you know, maybe that'll speak to me in this yeah. way. I don't know. I, you know, that's, that's yeah. my hope at least. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm hoping it becomes a two way street too. I'm hoping people reach out to us with recommendations and ideas. If they get, if they feel like they have an idea of our tastes, maybe they'd be like, Oh, have you guys, have you guys seen this? Have you heard of that? Like check this out. So I'll be excited when we get to the point of maybe hearing from people. Yeah. You know, and when we hit a bullseye, stuff like that. But it's I'm just saying, like, cool. if I didn't have, if I hadn't read that PTA list, the only chance I ever would have had of coming across this movie really would be a recommendation from someone else or just coming across it on fucking TCM one day. Like, and, yeah. and I'm like, I, I feel like I would have been deprived. I mean, I wouldn't have known what I missed, obviously, but like, now that I've seen it, I'm like, fuck, this movie rules. We should be talking about yeah. this all the time. Yeah. If you hadn't put it on the board, I don't think I, would have seen this movie. No. And I'm really glad that I did. I, it's and, and you know sick. what? We let's be fully transparent here. We were questioning at the end of last week when the dart was thrown and we hit a fourth in a row Drew pick. Fourth odd. And we're getting to another tension moment, dude. I, I want it even I so know. Bad. Exterminating Angel, baby. I want exterminating angel. But no, but I mean like I'm just like, I'm so glad I put this on the list because like we both just discovered this little movie that we're just like, and not even that it's a little movie. At the time it was a big movie, but like for us now, it's like, fuck. Yeah. I, that's awesome. I'm so glad we stumbled yeah. on this. For our age and the culture that we're in, this is a movie that's really not talked about, and it was a gem and really, really fun to explore, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping other people enjoy checking it out too. Absolute gem. Perfect word. Last thing I want to say is we're 10 episodes in now. I want us to start thinking about end of 2022 we have to do an episode for all the movies that we've watched up until that point where we do an Oscar ceremony of best picture, best actor and stuff like that. I guarantee you Spencer Tracy's making my best actor list. Oh, I love that idea. I'm going to start just of the movies that, that we watched. Um, okay. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, bad day at black rock fucking rules. Everyone needs to go watch it. It's 80 minutes of your life. It is Two, it's not even two episodes of an hour-long show. You have no excuse not to watch it. It rules. Fucking track this down. Yep. Let's spread the word on this one. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it on Bad Day at Black Rock. Let's figure out what's going back on the board. What are you thinking, Drew? For a replacement, <laughs> what number are we at here? What was Bad Day? So Bad Day was at number seven. So we're, we're, we are replacing number seven. Uh, to remind everyone, I am odds, Jared is evens. You got some candidates? Got a or... lot of candidates. The one I want to go with, though, I think I've already got it in mind. Locked in. I've had this theory that I like doing like for like. I've broken that a couple of times. I, I, I've put a lot of new new things on the board, Jared. If, I don't know if you know. Yeah, for sure. But It's a six to three trouncing. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you with this. I'm going to go outside right. of, I'm going completely left field, not at all related to this movie. I'm going to put something on the board that I know is not in your wheelhouse. I want to oh, challenge man, this you. This is good. All right. I like it. I like but it. But it is something that I haven't seen, but is something that is critically loved. People love it. A lot of, uh, yeah, good feelings about this movie. And I, and I enjoy this director as an, an artist, I think he's very unique. 
If you say Les Mis, I'm quitting the show. If I said Les Mis, I would kill myself right now. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, because Tom Hooper will never make this this board. <laughs> the movie I'm going with is Moulin Rouge, Jared. Oh, okay. The the is that the 2000s one? It's from 2000, 2000, 2001. I can't remember. Moulin Rouge. I'm confusing. I'm I'm picturing Chicago in my head, which I, I did watch not- recently and did kind of trigger this in my mind but i'm putting moulin rouge on here because i love baz lerman i think he's a really fascinating artist i think uh the great gatsby is really underrated uh it's chaotic and insane but it works for me i think uh his romeo and juliet adaptation with leo dicaprio and claire danes is fucking awesome i think that's a great movie super over the top and the reason i really want it on the board is i I'm tired of us just being having glowing reactions to everything, and I know this is going to challenge the shit out of your tastes. You you want you want something a little divisive, yeah. You want something a little polarizing, yeah. and maybe I'll hate it too. But I'll tell you this: Nicole Kidman is a top five all time crush for me. I have a man crush on Ewan McGregor. It's directed by Boz Lerman. Let's fucking go, man. Let's fucking crush a thon. I mean, it's thinking about things the nation needs divisiveness and polarization <laughs> so let's just let's just let's just continue to stoke those flames uh no i in all seriousness i like the choice i i like the idea that it's um i like all of our choices so far but it's cool that we have something a little bit more i just i needed to mix recent, it up a little, a little bit. bit more current it's something different we don't have uh, do we have any other musicals on the board no. Yeah, so I, I think it's a really cool choice, and I'm always down to be proven wrong about my distaste, or not my distaste, my aggressive hatred towards music. Bigotry is um, what I would call it. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm bigoted against, you know, You're bigoted against uh, people singing their feelings. <laughs> yeah, it's just annoying. <laughs> I don't know. This is, this is going to be an interesting uh, experiment because this is kind of yeah. an off the wall musical. So I don't know. Anyway, I mean, I, yeah. I like the pick. I'm, I'm excited about it. Let's go. I, I like that. How different, how different it is. So seven is going up on the board as Moulin Rouge. All right. Should we throw this dart? Do it, buddy. All right. Fucking evens. Let's go. <laughs> Let me just say this. Let me just say this right off the bat. <laughs> this is the closest. This is the closest dart that has ever been thrown. Explain that in what way. So, as people, if we ever post these videos, which the we dartboard will. I I've got the at, Instagram account set up. Okay, good. These, this dartboard is just a hand me down from the apartment I live in. Nobody knows where it came from. It is janky as fuck. The metal has warped away from the board that is used as the border between the borders between the numbers, right? This is really calling into question the validity of our setup. Of the board. The whole thing is 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 questionable. So it's okay. It fits the theme of the podcast. So I threw the dart and it hit exactly between the 10 and the 15, like on the color line. And I had to go in and look. So the way I decided to call it is it because it was over the metal. I chose the side that of the metal the dart landed on. I think that's the way right? that you always decide darts. 
So, but 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 if you but look at it, just it's complicated on the color, by the jankiness of the dart, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, because the, the metal has board, moved away. Okay. Yeah, because the metal has been removed a bit from the board. <laughs> you can see behind the metal clearly, and it's like right in the but middle. But it was like so, dead center of over. red and black. Oh uh, yeah, red and white on oh, this janky white, board. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But going with those rules, it is a ten. Which is an even number, there it baby. Is, buddy. Breaking the one cycle. on the board, but it wasn't easy, dude. I'll send you, I'll send you the picture. It is literally like you could, if it not for the metal, you could make an argument for either one. It was almost fifteen. You ready to hear but, what we're uh, watching? Is, yeah. What is? I don't have the list in front of me. So this is what is ten. Number ten is bound by the Wachowskis. Ooh, bingo! Okay, is. that's an exciting choice. I'm, so I'm very happy about this. Okay. All right, come on, Evans. Let's go, baby. Here we go. We're getting back to a Jared pick. There we go. I think we we had to put it into the Balance ether, man. The we had to just like send the vibes out that this need yep. we we've been we've spent enough time with my shit. We got to get to Jared's shit. And it's cool mm. that we're just jumping up some decades too from where we just were with 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 Bad Day at Black Rose. I think one other thing that we're not doing enough of a like thought process on when it comes to some of the these like choices is like we need to like. We need to get some more things on that are are directed by females and by, you know, transgender and you know, like we 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 need like more influences into the the choices we're making. And I love that we're getting to a movie that's directed by two ge- transgender females. Um just like I I I love that we're getting their influence into this because Lana and Lily are just fucking genius artists. And I, I, I'm so excited that I get to close out their filmography now because this is the only movie of theirs that I haven't seen. Also great that you just used a dart throwing term closing out. Yeah. This is all, this is all coming together. We're closing them out. So you're closing off a filmography. Uh, I'm excited about all the things you just said. I completely agree. And I'm just in, curious about this movie and looking forward to diving into it and getting back on the board, baby. Evens, evens, evens. Oh, yeah, buddy. Well, we're back at it next week with Bound. That's going to do it for us here on Dartboard Movie Night. Have a good night, guys. Later. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboard movie night. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. <laughs>